G'day and welcome to Cast Off with Confidence. I'm Jackie Parry. I'm pleased to have your company. With me today is Jan Socrates, a pretty amazing lady. She's a world record holder in many things, but the best for me is the first woman and the oldest person to sail around the world non-stop and unassisted. Now, just take a moment to think about that. Around the world, on a sailboat, on your own, with no help. These are extraordinary achievements in themselves, and there are many others. Um, just before I get into introducing Jan a little bit more, I just want to take a moment to thank our supporters on this show. And this episode is brought to you by Pentenius Yacht Insurance. I just want to read a little bit that I read that Jan wrote, and this is a, a quote, and I think this is very simple but very pertinent for anyone on the water, no matter what stage they're at. Now, I'd just like to read you this. Nothing is going to be bad for long. I think you have to have the right mindset. Things are going to get better. They are going to get fixed. You kind of sort yourself out. I'm used to fixing things, sorting things out, dealing with problems. It is a way of life almost. Now that's very sage advice. And this is from a lady, and I love this too, who refuses to do age. And that's where we find Jan today, dealing with problems, sorting things out in Queensland. Welcome, Jan. <laughs> Thank you, Jackie. Nice to be here. Lovely to have you here. I'd, I had trouble knowing where to start, but as I talked about Queensland and, and sorting out problems there, you've been a guest in Australia for a lot longer than you anticipated due to COVID. <laughs> yeah, that's right. I arrived here February 14th last year. That's uh, 1920, obviously. And I'm still here in September 2021. Uh, but loving it, I have to say, really enjoying it. And I've enjoyed my trip around Australia, you know, on land. My, I had planned to do a circumnavigation of Australia with my land yacht, my camper van, which I'd hired for four months last year. And uh, here I am still, and uh, really enjoyed going around Australia as well. That's great. Has it, I, I'm aware you're writing a book. Has, has that been a good side of COVID and, and being um, a little bit trapped here? Has it sort of given you that space and time to sit and, and get writing? Oh, yeah, absolutely. It's given me a really positive side to uh, think, okay, I'm trapped here. I could be going mad because I'm trapped and what can I be doing? But I had a really good project to get on with. So it was uh, perfect. I mean, I, the theory had been that I was going to write it last year, but I was too busy doing oh, things and going Could around. Could you try again? Oh, sorry, that was my phone interrupting. <laughs> <laughs> we can deal with these things. You were thrown challenges at sea, I'm sure, and we cope with them then. I'm sure we can do it on land. So um, where did I get to? Yes, yeah, so uh, in answer to the COVID, uh, to the book question. Mm. Um, yeah, so for me, being... Uh, being stuck here, as it were, but having something positive that I could get on with was brilliant. You know, I mean, I, it meant that I really had something that I had wanted to do anyway. 
and I'd failed to be achieving it last year because I was too busy doing other things like traveling around Australia and meeting people and seeing fantastic places. So to be able to sit down in Cairns in a very nice place with nice weather in my bare legs, bare arms all the time, <laughs> um, it's been wonderful, you know, so I've, I've really been able to get on with it. Is there, a, is there a timeline on that? Do you have a deadline set? Uh, well, um, I have a book agent in London who says, I said, you know, I've got to be able to sell this in uh, Australia, Canada, the US, as well as in Britain, because I've got a lot of friends and, and, uh, and people there that I know. And um, the agent said, well, no problem with uh, Australia and Canada are usually included in British, in, in our um, uh, reader coverage, let's say. Um, but at the moment, we're trying to get a proposal. I've had three people come to me already. I mean, when I had a, um, a story about my last circumnavigation printed in the Times, there was a one and a half page story on my going around. The wife of the guy that wrote that is the Penguin editor. And so she was, she came to me, she was dead keen to write my story because she gathered I had a really good blog day by day. Right. She, she came to me. I'd already had um, someone else come to me and then recently I had had Coles come to me all wanting to publish my book. So, you know, I've already got options, but obviously having an agent, he'll protect my interests, he'll make sure that I get the best possible deal. So I think, you know, obviously he takes a cut of any income I get. I don't know what that will be. But um, so I think, you know, so he, we are now working together, trying to get a proposal for my book together that he can push out as soon as possible. So, um, you know, he's supposed to be coming back to me this week with ideas because it's turned out not into just a talk about my last seven navigation. It's turned into a memoir of everything. Yeah. And I'm saying, well, that's the problem because I've been around four times. I've now been around Australia. That could become a book in itself. Yes. So many adventures there. And so it's going to be really quite difficult to kind of compress all that and still keep it interesting. So It's um, a big job. It's a, it's a huge job. And I, I wish you well with it. And I'm sure... A lot of people, including myself, will be waiting for the book. You've got a lot to tell us. There is, yeah, especially with my Australian heritage. You know, because, you know, I don't know how much of that story. I mean, that's why I was here in Australia, actually, is because I have an Australian father. You know, he was killed in the war when I was five weeks old, um, one of the Faulkner breed. And my grandfather was Otway Faulkner. So if you're into sheep, you should have heard of Otway Faulkner and F.S. Faulkner, the company, mm. he was my grandfather. So uh, I've right. made contact now, just recently, just before I went around, after my accident, I made contact with my family here in Australia. And uh, that gave me a reason, okay, when I finish my circumnavigation, first thing I want to do is get to Australia and meet up with the family and see where my father grew up, go to Geelong, there's a stained glass window in his memory, the grammar school there and just go around Australia and see Australia and meet up with the radio friends I made while I was sailing around as well. So oh. I had several good reasons to come to Australia. Oh, that's so, uh, extraordinary. Oh, I'm yeah, looking yeah. forward to reading more about that. <laughs> that won't be in the book, though, because the book's supposed to be, I don't think it is, I don't know, because the book's supposed to be about my sailing and, my, and I'm thinking, <laughs> well, that as well. You know, how are we going to fit all this into one book and keep it interesting? <laughs> 
Yes, I wish you well. I wish you well. And I think I think I should move on to your sailing. I could I could talk about coming to Australia and travelling around. Um, you've done more travel around Australia than I have. But I, I, I'd like to first jump to the sailing. Um, and it all started for you, I believe, in 1990 with dinghy sailing. Is that right? Uh, I think 1990... I think 1990 I started windsurfing. Right. And a touch of dinghy sailing. And then I gradually, over the next couple of years or so, did more windsurfing. I actually became a windsurfing instructor. Uh, just for beginners, that was fine. I had to get my level four, which was quite a, a push. And um, at that time, what was I? I was uh, 40 something, 40, sorry, 1990, 48. Yeah. So, um, yeah, so then I got into dinghy sailing. So I was into sailing from then on, and I loved that. But the windsurfing really, really got me. I really enjoyed that. Um, just fantastic. And then in 94, I got onto a, a competent crew course just to help the course go. I thought, you know, I did a lot of my sailing other cows at the uh, UK Sailing Academy there. And um, I'd be watching coming in, you know, with, with the laser or whatever back into the, um, the centre in the evening, you know, having had a day out sailing on the street outside cows. And I'd be watching these yachts coming in with them. Of course, by then they're coming into land and they're just standing around looking a bit, and I thought, that looks totally boring and uninteresting, you know. But then when I did this competent crew course, it was on a Sigma 33 out in the Solent. And we were really lucky. It was in June, towards the end of June, a week, doing uh, the five-day course in one go. And we had weather like it is now in Cairns. You know, a brilliant, lovely sunny week, unusually, with lovely window and a good instructor. And I couldn't believe it. I, I was trying to hike out like on a laser saying, are we going to tip over, you know, and being, from, oh, look, oh, we never tip over, big lie. Um, <laughs> anyway, uh, and then I realized all these other things. It wasn't just a sailing. You know, there was all this other stuff involved with being on a yacht. You've got the navigation, you've got day marks, you've got night lights, you've got the weather to think about ahead, um, cold eggs, you know, so much to really learn about and get, to become a good yachts, yachts person. Mm. So um, that really, really got me. We were due to go down to Greece windsurfing that summer because we'd got into that. We had a, a camper van. Uh, the kids had, you know, by that time, they were off our hands, as it were, they were doing their own thing. And um, we took our windsurfers down to Greece to Vassiliki on the West Coast on the Ionian. So I did know more. I rang up Sunsail because I knew they had a base on uh, Lefkos Island, which Vassiliki is down the south of that and asked them if they, what they had that I could, what was the cheapest option of getting on a yacht. So I realized, and they looked at their website, oh my God, this is expensive, you know. So the cheapest option was a 25-foot Beneteau with an outboard for the motor, uh, which stunk, you know. And um, that's, um, we got onto that for a week. You know, that was brilliant. And then we, yes. in fact, we, we formed the little baby Ben Club, you know, all the other 25-foot Benetons and myself. Uh, well, with my husband, you know, we were together on the boat. Yeah. Uh, we formed this, and we had an engineer and a hostess. We were shepherded around, but we were on the boat by ourselves. So my Fantastic. husband and I were on the boat with our, we just had competent crew, which is why we didn't even have day skipper. So we couldn't do any more than that. But that was brilliant. The problem was, as soon as the wind got up in the afternoon around three o'clock, that was when you're supposed to be mooring up because they had such a lack of spaces to moor up in the evening at the various islands where we went to. We had to get in early, and they had someone there keeping our spaces. 
So the wind was getting up, and just as we were getting sailing, that to stop. That was really frustrating. <laughs> but anyway, so we continued. That September, we did our Yachtmaster Theory. Mm. So when we got to the, uh, so after that week, we got to the campsite where we did our windsurfing uh, for the rest of August. And um, in the campervan, we drove down and drove back to England. And so we were mugging up every morning before the wind went up in the city key. We were mugging up on our theory for the Yachtmaster. Yeah. And as both, you know, both mathematically fine, so we had no problem with that. And just a matter of getting it done, we took the charts down with us. We had our plot, you know, the um, getting plotters and things. And then in the September, we went back down to Cowles because they very kindly put on a special exam for us to actually do our Yachtmaster exam. We did a mock exam one weekend on the Saturday. And on the Sunday, we did the actual exam and got it. So we had the theory, but we still had a lot of practical catching yes. up. So we, we just kept every, I mean, over the January boat show in England, I'd go to a stand and they'd be trying to sell you a yacht. And I yes. said, well, can we come and try it out? So we'd go down to the Solent and have a quick sail in the Solent in January when it was almost empty, which was, again, great. And, um, and then we did, uh, we got through our day skipper courses and, um, you know, the practical and then onto the coastal, and then in the winter, over the next couple of years, going through those, we do um, weekend experience courses. Yeah. And again, they've got these skippers, they wanted to keep them going, they had no, so they do a really cheap weekend out in the Solent in January, February. So we took advantage of that. And so we slowly, you know, with the courses and with that, we slowly got ourselves up to, uh, well, come 97, we hadn't got our yacht master by then. Um, and, but by then, of course, I'd retired and we'd got a boat. And, um, so that was in 97. That, that, that was great because you got that experience and you knew you enjoyed it. You knew what to expect. And, and Benito yeah. is great for that training and, and learning. I've got a, a colleague. Oh, yeah, yeah. Any time we, yeah, we took an exam when we had our own boat, which is a Nyad, they don't want to go backwards. You know, so if you get into any boat like that, so whenever we did an exam, after that, like our coastal skipper practice and the yacht master, uh, always uh, chose to do it on a Jano or a Bavaria or a, or a Benito because you just turn yourself around, point the tiller, and back you go. Yeah. No problem. I had to learn with the Nyad, a much heavier boat. It didn't want to go, you know, if I had yes. the wind in the wrong direction, too strong, tough luck. If, you, you, if you're lucky, you'll go straight, but you're never going to go around the corner the wrong way. Yes. So, um, yeah, it's a good experience. Yeah, it's, it's great experience. And so knowing and, and having that um, understanding and enjoyment for it, that's when you've got your first vessel in 97, and that, that was never yeah, a while. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, interestingly, talking about the experience of the boat, we, uh, the boat was, um, we, we got the boat in, uh, she was based in Hamble, which is just south of Southampton, Hamble River, and just across the way from Cowes. So... Uh, what we did one time, we took her over to show her off to the people on, at the UKSA that had become good friends by then. They'd been really helpful. And um, I suddenly realised that just down the river, uh, on the opposite side from where we were, there was almost an empty marina. I don't know if they'd been needing the docks or what. But anyway, so we just took the boat over there. We just got it new and we had having trouble docking it. So we just went in and out, in and out. We spent a day on the dock there, just going in and out in different current conditions, because the tide was coming in and out over the day, in different conditions, 
just getting to learn how to dock our boat, mm. you know, is really, really good, you know, really useful to practice. Yeah, it's important to do and in different conditions because it, it, it tests us, especially with the heavier displacement boats, as you were saying, and, and having that test in different conditions and sort of understanding our prop walk and what the boat does in, in certain winds is uh, important to know how to yeah. counter And not getting frightened about if you can see it's not going to work, okay, don't try and recover because it won't recover. Just go out again and come back in again. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, I came in once, quite funny, I came in once into uh, just uh, Vancouver Island. I was coming in on the rally into uh, somewhere up the coast a bit. And I had someone on, the, on board actually helping me. And as we were coming in, it was a really awkward uh, manoeuvre. You know, I, I could see it wasn't going to work. We came out again. In fact, actually, as, as we were coming in, they said, oh, sorry, we've changed our mind. Can you dock on the other side of your boat? So we had to go out and change all the fenders and lines over. Um, normally, when I come in by myself, I have fenders and lines on both sides, yeah. just in case I have to change my mind about which side I'm going to dock. Yeah. Uh, but we came in three times because first two times it clearly was just not going to work mm. okay out again come back in again try it again yeah. having learned from the previous couple of times what was going on yeah so absolutely you, you mustn't have too much of a you mustn't be self-conscious you mustn't be worried about something like that it's actually showing that you're a good sailor rather than a bad one if you're coming in again you realize it's obviously not going to work you realize that okay go out and come in again really important to appreciate that I, I couldn't agree with you more. There's that, and there's also in my mind this successful voyage. If you if you have a destination and you you head out, but don't get to that destination, you come back or another one. If you get back intact with your boat intact and you intact, that's still a successful voyage. We, yeah, absolutely. We put yeah. too much on ourselves now with with planes and trains and cars. You know, everything's so definite. And it isn't on a sailboat. And no, you've always got to have a backup plan. Always, always yes. have a backup plan. Yes. Yeah. Actually, I have to say, having said that, of course, there are times I can think of twice when the once I was coming into, I think it's called Olympus Marina in, on the Florida Keys, and I was by myself, and I was coming in, and I suddenly realised, um, I can't remember which way, it must have been that, that time, it was I had all the fenders out, and I completely forgotten about the lines. No. So, <laughs> had to go back out again. Oops, embarrassment. You know, I, I'm not quite ready. <laughs> then the other time I was in Bora Bora and I was coming into a dock, a nasty concrete dock. This one was actually really horrid. And I was coming in to clear out, ready to go over to New Way and come this way. And um, so that must have been my first set navigation 07. And I was coming into the dock. And I had all my lines ready. And then I suddenly realized, oh, my God, I hadn't got my fenders ready. Oh. I had no fenders out. And I was actually, that time, I, was, I just couldn't get away. And luckily, there was a guy on the dock that came washing over, trying to help me push the boat off. We got a little bit of a scratch that I had to mend later, but it wasn't too bad. But, oh, my gosh, you know, sometimes these things happen. You know, just, you know, just too bad. I have to use them as a learning curve again and try and make sure, okay, don't forget, before you come in, <laughs> Don't be overconfident. Have I got my fingers and have I got my lines out? <laughs> There's so much to think about, isn't there? It's, it's easy to overlook things. Um, I yeah, think it, I had my mind on I wasn't expecting to, have to be able to dock there, actually. I had my mind on other things. I wasn't really concentrating. Yeah. And that's fatal. You know, you've really got to think what you're doing. You've got to be ready before you come in, every, especially as a single-hander. When I always have three lines ready, 
my yes. bow line, my stir line, and a spring, uh, sorry, and a midship line. Yeah. And that, of course, is almost the most important one. Yeah. Get that on, and then you hopefully can deal with one of the other two yeah. quickly. But I come off with that, having stopped the boat. Start, you know, come off the Don't jump off the boat. Hopefully, just step off the boat with those two guys is the perfect thing to do. Yes. <laughs> yes. Happens sometimes, you know. <laughs> You keep amazingly agile. You're looking amazing and, and boating life keeps you young and fit. I know you're keeping yourself fit as you're, you're writing and, and living in Queensland at the moment. Back to Nerida. She was imported from Sweden into Hamburg. Yeah, I think in Sweden while she was being fitted out. I was mm. uh, there for oh, from January through for a couple of months, or, uh, most of the time. Every now and then I'd hop back to London because I had to and then pop out again. And, um, you know, as she was being fitted out, I'd, be, I'd drive to the yard and the guys would work there. January is horrible in Sweden. You can understand why, really, why they love candles. As I'd go back to my place in the evenings, I'd see these candles lit up either candles or the lamps in the windows. They didn't draw their curtains. So as you went by, you'd see light shining in all the windows to make you feel better because it was cold and horrible. In the morning, I'd go in the dark. Anyway, so I'd get there and I'd be checking with the guys what they were going to be doing in the yard that morning or that day. They would leave at half past three. So I'd go back down and have a look and see what they'd been getting up to to make sure they were doing what I wanted not what they thought was a better thing to do sure. and then correct them the next day. <laughs> you know, I, I wanted my um, VHF um, holder to be put right down in this corner out of my way and they put it slightly up. I said, no, I wanted it down there for mm. a reason. You know, please put it down where I asked you to put it and not where you thought it should go. So, um, yeah, that was, I had a lot of changes and things that I had done on the second boat compared to the first because of course I've learned from having the first one. Yes. Yeah, it's pretty important. It is very important because we have limited space and, and you know what you want and you know what's going to work best for you. But going back to the first boat and you, you spent some time in Spain and the Canaries and the Caribbean and um, then you off to longer distances to the USA and that was with your husband George. That's right, yeah. We crossed the Atlantic in the arc of 99, one of the two millennium arcs. Um, so we were actually in Grenada over the new year, seeing in the, the 2000. And then, uh, so we did a bit of the Caribbean, and then we went up to Nova Scotia, all the way up to Nova Scotia, up to Bedeck in the Ecuador Lakes, up to Sydney in, in Nova Scotia, spelt with an I. And then up to Bedeck, where the guy that invented the electric light bulbs lived. Um, and then back down again. And we actually were, I, I distinctly remember, of course, now it's relevant, being on top of one of the, of the tower, the observation um, thing, because we'd had to go to the, at the base of the, of the towers was the place where you got your cruising permit for being in the States as a foreigner. So, and the guy there was, he was amazing. He, he realised that I think it was Dunkirk Day. So he didn't. He gave us a, a permit for no charge. Waived the twenty five dollars or whatever. Nice. Uh, he was like, so I just hope he survives in September eleven, because that was, of course, that same year. And um, so we went up to Nova Scotia, back down uh, to Cuba, and then around. And then by the time we got back down to Grenada, it was now the week before, uh, just before September 
Yeah, it was that same year anyway. We were mugging up for our radio exam to get the ham radio license because we suddenly tweaked that if you have the ham radio, you can use twin link for your emailing from the boat with an SSB radio. Yeah. So we thought, that's great. And there were people around who are, who are US. So there were three guys that could run the exam and help us learn mugging all up. And the computer was Wi-Fi with the test exams. So there we were getting all that sorted. And then suddenly we got a, um, a, a, a one of the local boat boys took us over at great speed. Uh, in order to go over the reef, if you went at great speed, you could do it without damaging the reef. And we wanted to get to a place where the boaters were having a, a charity sale, a boat sale in aid of the local school. So we got there. But the boat had no cushioning on it. It was one of the normal Caribbean flat, wide open wooden boats with a big engine. Yeah. Um, well, the next day, my husband was suffering so badly with the back pain and just um. didn't want to go. So we eventually got to a GP and he, he diagnosed. He obviously realised that there was a possibility of cancer. And sure enough, so we got tested. This was the week before September 11th. So as soon as we got the uh, sign that this looks like, you know, when was your PSA count? He said, what's that? We said, we didn't know what they were. Had no idea. Anyway, his PSA was right up in the 70s. It was way, way too high. So we went rushing back to England. We were packing on September 11th in Grenada at anchor. Mm. And eventually all of us went over to the TV to watch everything, just shocked. Mm. And the next day we were flying out back to England to get him treated. Wow. Which worked well for time. It was a hormone treatment, which worked well until the following summer, in you know, June, July, August, when we were back in Trinidad. And um, so I kept him on the boat. He was going down here. We got treatment. I got to Venezuela. I got him irradiated there. He was actually in quite a bad way. I'd been back in England, and my doctor there had given me a, a jar of um, morphine, something, you know, liquid, to treat his pain. But you know, at least he's on the boat. You know, he was able to go snorkeling. We were in beautiful places. We actually investigated, explored places we'd not been to. We'd not been to Venezuela before. And so from Grenada, mm. Pickley Bay, where, where we first took off, we never thought we'd be back on the boat again. So uh, that was pretty good. So from there, we went to Trinidad and went to um, Venezuela. And then uh, we got as far as Bonaire and we came back to England for a... Um, Christmas, basically, in, 2000, in 2002, this was by then. And in 2003, he passed away in March. So you know, he mostly was on the boat for as long as he possibly could, basically. So the boat then was in one air at anchor. It's yeah. yeah, dreadfully sad time. It makes me catch my breath. I've had... Um... I've lost, I lost my first fiance and um, had a similar experience, although it was on a boat, and I can, I can feel your sadness. Well, the thing is you feel cheated and you feel that he was cheated, you know, because there they were perfectly fit and fine, and suddenly this thing hits and there's no, there's no getting, you know, recovery. It's downhill from then on, which I couldn't really appreciate. You know, it, when I was in Venezuela and he was getting irradiated, and he had... Vips with problems, he had a big hematoma, I thought it was a hematoma on his hip, it wasn't, it was a cancer, a cancer and somewhere else. And um, I was being taken to one side because they were really worried that I was going to be on the boat with him and he would die on the boat. And they were so relieved when I mentioned to them, well, you know, this was November, I think, 
I, when I said to them in the December we were going flying back to England for Christmas, they were so relieved because they realised then that because they said to me, he's got if he's got three months, he's going to be lucky. I just didn't believe them. Mm. You know, although he was in a bad way, I didn't believe them because I'd never come across cancer before. No, but um, they were right because November, December, January, February, March, you know, March he was dead. So um, they, they were relieved that I was going to be back in England, really, you know, in good care, which mm. I was. You know, no, it's dreadfully unfair, and I, I can relate to that feeling. It's um, a bit of anger in there, of, yeah, trying to understand. Mm. And with that, so now you have a boat, and um, on your blog, actually, I found it very poignant um, when you talked about it. It was just headed up alone, and that really struck me because, um, like you, I've sailed with my partner, and that's been really important to me and you went on to talk about well yeah the sailing bit's easy but now I've got to not now you've got to learn everything else now you're responsible for everything else and I think that was a big time for you then with that transition yeah I mean fortunately when we got the boat one thing that George never liked to do was get his hands dirty so I said okay I'll look after the head and she was delighted so uh, I had that, <laughs> that was fine. And of course, I do have a physics and maths degree. So I was into being logical and had a bit of an understanding of electrics and so on, which was helpful and, uh, and forces and such like. But you still have to equate it, you know, have to relate it to the boat. So, but I had always um, made sure that I understood what was going on. But when I